Welcome to the Sooners Extra Post Game Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Aber, here for right now in Stillwater, where on Saturday, Oklahoma fell to Oklahoma State 37-33, to joined by columnist Jenny Carlson, fellow beat writer Justin Martinez, and uh, Jenny, we expected a tight game that would go down to the wire and absolutely got it tonight. Yeah, but you know, I don't know if anybody expected the game to be 37-33. I think any of us that picked the score, you know, both teams in the 20s, we felt maybe a little sheepish, like that was too much. So this game, while, yes, you're right, Ryan, close game was, I think, what everybody expected. It didn't exactly play out the way we thought it would. 24-24 at half, really a uh, back and forth, lots of points in the first half. And then, as many bedlams become crazy, became that way in the second half. But, uh, yeah, it, it was for drama, for, you know, suspense. It was it was a very high-level bedlam in that regard. Justin, you've never experienced bedlam before. What do you think? First experience with it, yeah. I think I was definitely expecting a low-scoring affair, but uh didn't happen. But either way, I was expecting a pretty crazy atmosphere, one of the best in the college football, honestly, in terms of the rivalry, and I definitely got that experience, and that was a pretty cool experience for sure. Yeah, wild to see at the end, uh, you know, uh, Boone Pickens Stadium, the fans uh, streaming out there, the students uh, charging the field, reminiscent of what we saw in 2011, Jenny, mm-hmm. and, uh, but, you know, this was, this was a little bit different. This was, we expected OU, uh, the better team uh, coming, or OSU to be the better team coming in, especially defensively, but OU early on uh, did some nice things against Oklahoma State's defense. Now, a lot of it was Caleb Williams keeping plays alive with his feet. Oklahoma State brought the pressure from the jump, but uh, the Sooners were able to take advantage of it, especially with those uh, H-backs and tight ends, Austin Stogner, who uh, had sort of been the missing man for the Sooners offense, came up big for them early. We saw Braden Willis. Jeremiah Hall had a, a, a 50-yard uh, uh, reception there really early in the game that sort of jump-started the Sooners' offense. And you started to wonder, hey, is this offense going to be back and, and string together a full game? But then after halftime, that completely fell apart. Uh, Oklahoma's offense uh, was not effective at all. That pressure that uh, was just almost there in the first half, finished in the second half with Caleb Williams getting sacked uh, quite a bit. And then OU just shot itself in the foot a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, you're right. There, the, those uh, those tight ends, three leading receivers for the Sooners, essentially, and uh, Jeremiah Hall, Austin Stogner, and, and Braden Willis. So, you know, guys that we've seen have nice roles, really stepped up in the passing game. Kennedy Brooks in the run game, effective again. 22 carries for 139 yards, over six yards a carry. But, Ryan, you mentioned the second half, and there were penalties. Those were really killer on a couple of offensive uh, possessions. But then, you know, after OU takes that nine-point lead after a safety uh, and then a muff punt touchdown, it's really two crazy plays that get them uh, that two-score that two lead. Then we see them basically go away from the run. The last 25-plus minutes of game time, Kennedy Brooks only had seven carries. 
And Caleb Williams did well in the run game, but they went away from Kennedy Brooks, a guy that, you know, again, six yards a carry, you got to like his chances to, to do some damage. So I really thought they weren't patient enough with their run game. I thought they could have used it more. Not maybe in those late possessions, um, Justin, when they were kind of in scramble mode, but when they were ahead by nine, you're in the you're in the front runner seat. Use your run game. I thought they went away from that way too fast. Yeah, especially considering not only did Kennedy Brooks have a lot of success tonight, but he's just had success against Oklahoma State in general. I think he entered this game averaging, I believe it was 162 and a half rushing yards uh, per contest against Oklahoma State in his past two appearances. So. This is a guy who's had proven success, and it did look like they kind of just abandoned it there, especially, like you said, when they were in a situation where they should be running the ball. Obviously, down the stretch, you have to pass more, but they were in the driver's seat um, in that third quarter, and you would think that's when you would lean on Kennedy Brooks, but they just didn't do that. Yeah, that, to me, is maybe the one broad criticism that you could give to Lincoln Riley's offense, his play calling, uh, you know, there's been several times over these last couple of years where it feels like they abandon the run too early and go away from it. We saw it a couple of years ago against Kansas State when Kennedy Brooks only got a handful of carries. We've seen it, uh, you know, several times this year where it feels like they, they go away from that too early. Now, I think it's ridiculous. That, you know, I saw this on Twitter a lot tonight getting directed uh, toward me. Other, uh, I'm sure you all experienced it too. Uh, should Lincoln Riley hire a play caller? Should he hire an offense coordinator? Et cetera, et cetera. It's sort of ridiculous because you forget just how good Lincoln Riley is at these things. And we've seen evidence of that a lot, even this year, with their offensive struggles. But, like I said, the one criticism I think is valid is that at times he goes away from the run uh, too early and, and doesn't come back to it quick enough uh, to, to uh, make things happen. I, I feel like that's one of the things that happened tonight. Yeah, and you, I, I mean, to me, I don't know if there were situations where, you know, maybe a, a, a run play or Kennedy Brooks running the ball was an option and Caleb Williams checked out of things. I mean, that's a possibility too. And we also saw OSU, I mean, they're able to get pressure and they're able to do – do some things against running uh, offenses that, I mean, you don't see a lot of other defenses able to do. I mean, we I'm sure we'll get to this, the, the final two possessions. Uh, Caleb Williams, I mean, he's basically a sh- you know, shoestring away from potentially a huge play on the next-to-last possession for Oklahoma on a fourth-down run, and he gets caught from behind, just tripped up barely, and there's not a lot of defenses in the country with players with the speed that Oklahoma State has. I think that their their speed, their ability to close on guys, and their their side-to-side speed, to me, that's where they really, I think that's where they separate defensively. They don't miss a lot of tackles. They, Oklahoma made a miss some tonight. That was impressive, the way that they were able to get away from, you know, Cowboy defenders on a couple of occasions. But Caleb Williams, he might, he might have run for a touchdown and put the Cowboys ahead with a couple minutes to go had it not been for a Devin Harper tackle. And, again, there aren't a ton of guys and a ton of defenses in the country that can make that play. So that was a that, that was just a, you know, close, you know, how close the Sooners were tonight to getting back to the Big 12 championship game, to continuing a march toward a, a college football playoff spot. I mean, guys, they were so close to all of that tonight. 
Yeah, they they really were, and you know, you mentioned that, that Caleb Williams plays. They were close, and I and I felt like that if they would have somehow figured out a way to win this game in the last couple of minutes, there that if you're an OU fan, you've got to feel really good about their chances uh, a week from now in Arlington playing the same Cowboys team who hasn't been there before. OU has, and things like that, but. OSU came up with some really big defensive plays there at the end, even though OU finally showed some offensive life. Uh, you know, Caleb Williams has to scramble around, almost uh, escapes that shoestring tackle, as you mentioned. That was probably the play of the game for the Cowboys. And then uh, you, know, you think the game's over then, but OU's defense came up with yet another big, quick stop uh, there with just a couple minutes left that gives OU the ball with, what was it, 54 seconds left? Yep. With 80 yards to go, and you're thinking, ah, there's no way they can do this because they haven't been able to move the ball. Well, and then Caleb Williams you know, does what we've seen from Caleb Williams quite a bit with the 50-plus yard run that gets them down, was it, to the 24, I believe? Yeah. Uh, but then OSU's defense just locked down, uh, you know, we're, We'll talk about this stretch. Uh, three incompletions, finally ends on a sack. But I know what o, a lot of OU fans are talking about, Justin, <laughs> is uh, the, the possibility of a pass interference there in the end zone on uh, Trayvon West. Yeah, I mean, to me it looked like it was pass interference. But at the end of the day, there were so many calls both ways that seemed like really just kind of coin flip. Uh, type of place where I don't think you can just say that's the reason why Oklahoma lost that game. There were a lot of things that led up to that. So I definitely saw a lot of that on Twitter, a lot of that just on social media in general, people showing that replay of that play. But at the end of the day, Oklahoma still had plenty of chances to win this game aside from that one. So you, you can't bank on or you can't just put all the blame on that for sure. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, Jenny, I think there was at least a couple of defensive offsides that didn't get thrown on the Sooners that uh, could have been. And they had plenty of penalties. They had a season-high 12 penalties today. Uh, Six of those were against the offense, and they were in rapid-fire succession. Uh, Two sets of back-to-back-to-back penalties that really killed OU's offensive momentum there in the second half. But, yeah, yeah, it's it's hard for for OU fans to sit there and say, hey, it's all on the, the officials' fault because OU put themselves in that, that position for that to matter at the end, and uh, you know they weren't able to come through. Yeah, and again, a chance to after OSU is imploding when they give up those those the, the safety and the muff punt touchdown recovery. I mean, at that point, you could just sense the the tension and the drama um, in in the stadium. I mean. People were, you know, ghosts of Bedlam past were were floating through the air, and many people were. You could sense that, you know, lots of folks in Stillwater thinking, you know, this is this is going to be another, you know, Bedlam that goes Oklahoma's way because Bedlam always goes Oklahoma's way, or it sure seems to. But when Oklahoma wasn't able to really build on that, you're right. It set up that that end of game scenario where you know you need to not only make a play, but you need the other guy not to, and uh, Oklahoma State, they're they're pretty good front to back on their defense, and 
So they have the ability to knock those plays away. Is it close potentially? I'm sure. Um, you know, I'm sure you could call it, you know, you could probably, I, I was saying to, uh, to somebody in the press box, uh, there was a, a Tay Martin touchdown that got called an incompletion uh, in the second half. And I really think had they called it a completion on the field, they would have had a hard time overturning it in the replay, but they called it an incompletion on the field, and so they didn't overturn it on the replay. It was one of those sorts of deals. Yeah. So every every game you've got plays that you could point to and say, well, that was the reason. No, it's not. I felt like Oklahoma had everything going their way, you know, what, five minutes into the second half, and you just never felt – they struggled with that all year, guys. I mean, we saw them – uh, we saw one side of the ball or the other able to pick up and go and really carry the day when the other side was struggling, but they could never get to the point where consistently defense would get a stop, offense would come out, move it, score. Defense would get a stop, offense would come out, move it, score. You just never saw that out of this team. Yeah, which is why I think this is going to be one of those great you know, what-ifs in seniors' history because – this defense at times looked like it had the ability to be what a lot of us thought it was going to be before the season. Finally, at the end of the year, these last couple games, uh, got some consistent pressure. I mean, heck, we saw Perrion Winfrey make a big play tonight that led to that safety uh, early. You know, OU had uh, plenty of pressure on, on Spencer Sanders at various times. Woody Washington comes up with a couple of uh, interceptions tonight. And uh, not even getting to the special teams element of things, but just the defense. And then the offense, at times, they looked every bit like as powerful as the uh, Kyler Murray offense of a couple years ago. But they just never could string both sides of things together, really, which is why I think this this season goes as as one of those uh, great what-ifs. Yeah, and I think with this game, it's especially frustrating because... You know, if you're the OU offense, you were gifted nine points by your defense today with the safety and that touchdown on the uh, the muff punt there. You were also getting – you also got two interceptions from Woody Washington. Like, the defense showed up and did its part, which was something that, you know, they had been struggling as of lately. And for them to come through and deliver, and for the offense to not be able to capitalize on so many opportunities, I think that's really going to be something that, you know, OU fans are definitely going to harp on for the next few years. Yeah, I think you know one of the big turning points of this game also was Eric Gray's muff punt right. on the other end. You know, you felt like at that point, especially heck, you know Michael Turk uh, once again making his case to be uh, OU's MVP. Uh, you know, a, a great uh, great day there, helping pin OSU back, and so it just became sort of a field position battle. But then OU uh, gives the ball up and gives the Cowboys only five yards to work, and it's really hard to expect the defense to uh, stop OSU in that point, and that sort of kicked the momentum into overdrive for the Cowboys. Well, and i got to tell you guys, I, I, I'll be honest, I haven't finished my report card yet for this game, and special teams is one of those things I was planning to grade. I can't quite figure out what to do with it because you're right, Ryan. Like There were moments where you're like, Okay, special teams, looking good. You know, whether it's Turk in the punting game, flipping the field, pinning OSU deep, getting obviously the turnover on the muff. But then they give up the kickoff return from Brennan Presley. So, like, 
and they have their own muff. So I'm not sure what to do with that. Um, ultimately, the, the OU special teams, they, you know, they get a touchdown, but they give up essentially two because once, once they muffed the, Eric Gray muffed his own punt, that quickly became an OSU touchdown. So just, uh, yeah, again, in the same way the offense and defense really struggled to maintain some consistency, it's the same way with the special teams. You just never really felt like there was any, you know, anybody was sort of picking up on the vibe that the other, you know, the other guys on the sideline were giving off. Everybody was in these weird silos where they, they just did their thing and didn't really, didn't really build off, which is super strange. It's just very odd that that ended up being such a theme for this team all season. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, you got to do the grade, so I'll leave this <laughs> to you a little bit, but I'd probably Thanks. say like a C minus. Yeah. Uh, there, yeah. just because there were some some really good things. Michael Turk, uh, once again, you know, Gabe Burkett hits a, a field goal and gets on the, the right side of, of yep. things there. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously the the, the, the game turning plays uh, there, but then the, the miscues were so big that the Brennan Presley, the first kickoff return, and I know they came back and tied it, and obviously took the nine point lead there. But that just felt like a backbreaker at the time yeah. to, for OU to, to get back in it, to tie it, uh, and, and then to have that happen immediately, uh, you know, was a was a big deal uh, for, for OU. Yeah. Luckily, they get Woody Washington gets the interception, allows them to tie it up just before half, get some momentum with those non-offensive scores there early, mm-hmm. but. Uh, yeah, certainly an up-and-down day for everybody on the Sooners, but uh, you know, certainly the special teams wasn't immune to that. Well, an up-and-down day that kind of mirrored an up-and-down year. I mean, let's be honest. This was a this was a team that, you know, early in the year, close games, offense struggling, defense was playing well, carrying, you know, carrying the day in those non-conference games, early conference games. Then the offense gets going with Caleb Williams, and the defense starts struggling. I mean, sort of that inconsistent, you know, off and on, you know, that was kind of the mantra of this whole season for this team. So today was really, in a lot of ways, a microcosm of some of the things that I think were, that held ultimately held Oklahoma back, will keep them out of the Big 12 title game, will keep them out of the college football playoff. Now they may still make a New Year's Day Bowl, that's an entire, you know, that's a possibility, Um, but they will not be... Uh, seven-time Big 12 champs. That that run ends this this season. Yeah, OSU is going to take on Baylor for the Big 12 title. Still got a couple of big topics though uh, to uh, discuss here before we wrap it up on the ride back from uh, Stillwater. The first one, Justin, uh, the LSU job that's sort of been hanging over everything. You know, we'd sort of almost written it off a little bit. Uh, over the last couple weeks, as uh, you know, I talked to people and got a sense of what was going on. But yesterday, uh, on Friday, things started to really kick up again. A lot of reports uh, coming out of the bayou that hey, maybe there's a lot of smoke to this. Lincoln Riley issued a flat denial after the game when asked about it. He said, "I will not be the next coach at LSU." What you make about the, of that? What you make of uh, you know his comments about his feelings about the administration at OU moving forward? 
Yeah, well, Len also, he ended that with a, with a Russell Westbrook. He hit him with the next question as well on top of that. So I think about and Barry Trammell wasn't even in the room for it. <laughs> yeah. So I think about as as clear as he could put it. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole, the whole situation, there's been a lot of rumors flying around. Um, some pretty, like... Just, just reaches. I mean, some pretty crazy reaches. I don't know if you guys have seen that people were like tracking flight records that there were flights from Norman out to Baton Rouge. There were people tracking, you know, who's following Lincoln Riley. I think there were some LSU recruits or something that have been following him, stuff like that. Um, just a, a lot of pulling at straws. Um, and honestly, not too many reports that really, you know, came from too credible of sources. So it was just something there were a lot of rumors flying around. Lincoln kind of just, you know, I think he put it to rest, but we'll see what happens in the coming days. It does seem like he's been pretty adamant. I mean, his message has been consistent the whole time. He was asked about this last week also, earlier in the week, I should say, and he pretty much had the same thing to say. So it seems like Lincoln Riley is going to be staying put in Norman. Um, hopefully that will stop people from tracking all these flight records <laughs> and stuff like that, because that's a little much to me. It, yeah, won't, well, it won't stop him. Don't worry. It won't no, stop there's him no way. I, I think <laughs> it's not going to stop this regard until LSU hires its coach. Right. But, you know, the, the sense I've got is that, you know, Lincoln Riley was absolutely approached by LSU. LSU has made a really strong run for him. But I think Lincoln Riley wanted some assurances about the direction of the program moving forward. And, you know, that's about, uh, you know, whether it's money for uh, support staff folks whether it's you know NIL uh, support, things like that, especially as we've seen some things in the SEC recently with uh, NIL pool money, uh, you know, the, the different things that the schools have done to try to maximize some of those new uh, advantages uh, that they have. And I think this was much more about securing the, the future of this program, you know, rather than, you know, either seriously thinking about making that jump or just trying to get a new contract extension. What, what about you, Jenny? What did, what did you make of all that? I, you know, I never really felt like it was a serious possibility now because of everything that we've seen in college athletics in the last year. I'm not surprised by anything anymore. So if it would have happened or if it, frankly, if it still does happen, like I'm not going to be totally shocked by that because you know, we've seen, I didn't expect that, you know, we might have just seen the last Bedlam football game in Stillwater for a long time tonight. Like, I know, I didn't expect that coming in, you know, when June 1st rolled around this year. But with OU's departure to the SEC coming at some point, we don't know if, we don't know when the last Bedlam will be. That might have been the last one in Stillwater. We may have one next year in Norman, but maybe nothing after that. So, stuff changes. But I think, speaking of that departure to the SEC, I, I think you're right, Ryan. I think Lincoln Riley does probably want to make sure some things get talked about in terms of, you know, what what do the SEC schools have in terms of extra staff, um, you know, people that are doing things that, I mean, no one was even thinking about doing five years ago, two years ago. You know, do they have the personnel to do that? Do they have the funds to do that, the space, the resources, all of that? So you've got you've got to account for that. But for me, the whole idea that you would leave one Rolls-Royce type of program for another Rolls-Royce type of program that you have no connection to, 
like when, that there's all kinds of issues with right now. With yeah. The Title IX stuff. Yeah. The fact that they fired two coaches within just a couple of years of winning national championships. Yeah. All of that, to me, when you combine it with OU's upcoming move to the SEC, it just never quite made sense uh, uh, on its face. No. Which is why I ultimately don't think it's going to happen. I understand, certainly, why Lincoln Riley would do the things that he's done to try to, you know, fit things in line with his vision and, and put them in a, a, the most competitive situation possible when they make that move. But it just never made sense for him to make that leap uh, right now. I think there's – I don't know that – well, there's a couple of college jobs that it wouldn't just bowl me over if Lincoln Riley left for now, I don't know if Alabama, Ohio State, and yeah. uh, you know, uh, Clemson uh, are, are going to come calling for him. Uh, heck, there's not many NFL jobs right. that would make sense for him to leave. Right. Uh, and, heck, we've seen him turn down some pretty good NFL jobs yeah. over the last couple of years. I mean, heck, you know, Philadelphia, uh, for sure. So, um yeah, it just, if, he, if it, he's not going to the NFL, I don't understand why you would. To me, the only thing that, and I think I said this to you guys early in this last week, if we're talking about not not just a pay raise, but like if we're talking about a doubling, like let's say that LSU threw out like twenty million a year, like that would be something that even if. The leadership is all over the place, even if there are issues, even, even, even. $20 million a year, the guaranteed money is life-altering for your family, for the next multiple generations. You have to think about it. But shy of that, like, I just never, if, if Lincoln Riley's an LSU grad, if he's got a diploma hanging on his wall that's in, you know, purple and gold, okay, maybe. But I just, it never made sense to me. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Justin. No, I was just going to say, if LSU wants to offer me $20 million, <laughs> I will leave the Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, no, get Jeff Patterson on the phone. Stop! <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it just uh, hopefully LSU will hire its coach soon and we can uh, all move on from that one. It certainly made, uh, made this week, which already was – a fascinating week and you know, lead up to a fascinating game. Really interesting, but uh, you know, like I said, we can uh, hopefully move on from that. Next is OU's bowl destination, and uh, Justin, you know, what do you what do you think happens here? Obviously, OSU and Baylor still have to play. You know, there's some things that can get shaken out there, but where do you ultimately think uh, the Sooners wind up? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting just to see how competitive Baylor is in this title game. I think that's going to really have a big say in um, just how they're looked at um, after this, you know, especially with the, the questions at quarterback right now that they have going on right now. If they're able to keep it close, um, or shoot, even win the game. I mean, if they're able to, to look like a good football team out there, then I think that's going to give them a better edge over you probably. I mean, they're still not going to have the same, you know, draw in terms of just fan base and stuff like that. They're probably not going to be able to, to bring in the type of ratings that OU would bring in, but and they, they, they're there at that big title game, and uh, OU isn't, so we'll see how they can handle it. 
that could definitely propel them to a better bowl game. I wouldn't mind OU going to San Antonio for an Alamo Bowl <laughs> game. I've got family back there, so that would be pretty cool for me to go out there. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it pans out for them. Well, and remember, too, that, that Sugar Bowl matchup is Big 12 SEC. And so anytime you've got the potential of a marquee SEC team, I, I think it is an interesting question. Does Baylor, do their fans get fired up to go to, to, to the Sugar Bowl to play an SEC team? Do they sell the tickets? Um, I, you know, and then this is all assuming that OSU, OSU beats Baylor and OSU gets into the playoff, which I think if they beat Baylor, I think they got a good chance. So, but I, Justin, I think you're right. I think how does Baylor look in the Big 12 game? Um, what's the potential matchup for the Sugar Bowl? Um, I don't. I mean, I don't think OU falls very far, but I mean, I still think they could be playing on New Year's Day pretty easily. Yeah, I think to me and Jenny, we talked about this walking out of the stadium. To me, the two bowls that are the obvious ones are the Sugar Bowl and the Alamo Bowl. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that if uh, if OSU wins, beats Baylor, especially if they beat them handily, but honestly. I just think if OSU beats Baylor and makes the playoff uh, themselves, I think there's a good chance that the Sooners wind up in the Sugar Bowl. And I don't, that wasn't something I was necessarily thinking right after the game ended, but as you look at it more, I think the draw uh, of OU, both from a fan perspective and a TV perspective, they could be matched up in the Sugar Bowl with Alabama. Uh, you know, we we know what an OU Alabama Sugar Bowl can look like. We've seen it, and it was one of the, the wildest games ever, the, the Trevor Knight game uh, down there. Uh, I, I think it's going to be hard for the Sugar Bowl and the, the folks that uh, make those bowl decisions to pass up on OU, given some limitations that Baylor has as far as their their, their fans traveling and things like that. Uh, now, geographically. You know, maybe Baylor gets some allowances there, and they say, "Hey, you know, Baylor could bring some folks in." But this isn't a Baylor team that's just scintillating to watch. Yeah. Dave Aranda has done a great job, and certainly their defense is fantastic. But I think it'd be hard for them to pass up that OU Alabama matchup. Yeah. And uh, you know, if if they do fall out of that, if OSU doesn't make the playoff. If something else happens, if Baylor wins the Big 12 title game uh, and, and is, you know, sets the Sugar Bowl automatically, then where does OU go? I think it's going to wind up being the Alamo. I can't see him falling below that. Uh, the Alamo has never hosted the Sooners before. I know that they would be fired up about having OU down there. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be fascinating, but I've got to think it's either going to be the Sugar or the Alamo for the Sooners. Yeah, I don't think they probably fall much further than that because – you got to think uh, what's happening, you know, in those those upper two spots. You know, OSU and, and Baylor are likely to land, you know, pretty decently regardless. So, yeah, then I think it just becomes what is, you know, what do the TV and the bowl execs want? And I think, you know, obviously those, those type of matchups, those are hard to pass up. Even if you might say, hey, you know, Baylor beat OU, Baylor made the Big 12 championship game. Those bulls really don't care ultimately about that stuff. I mean, they do to some degree, but in the end, it's about selling tickets. It's about making the TV uh, contract people happy, and nothing makes TV 
execs more happy than when you've got two programs that are marquee programs playing against each other in a bowl game. Yeah, no doubt about it. But So that'll be interesting uh, next Sunday mm-hmm. to see what happens there with the uh, the bowls, where OU falls. It'll be interesting to see where LSU ultimately falls with, uh, you know, when they hire their head coach and we can finally officially fully put all that talk to rest. But uh, another fascinating regular season comes to the close here uh, with the Sooners. Once again, the final here, 37-33, to 33, Oklahoma State over the Sooners tonight. Uh, we're going to wrap it up there on the Sooners Extra podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You can check out our work every day at Oklahoman.com and every morning in the Oklahoma for the best OU coverage anywhere.